So this morning, if you are new with us, we've been going through uh, this book uh, that's found in what we call the New Testament in Scripture. It's the book of Acts. And it's really a story, it's, a, it's kind of a travel journal that was written um, by a guy named Luke, who was a follower of Jesus. Uh, and it, it really chrono, uh, chronologically goes through what the, the birth of the church was. Um, and so where we are today, and, and by the way, before I forget, if you don't have one of the journals, the Acts journals, they're... Uh, still available. They're under the seats. Um, These are free to you. We'd love for you to just keep one to keep track of what's happening. You bring it with you, take notes in it, or if you just want to take it home, uh, you're welcome to do do that as well. Um, But where we are today is is really over the course of a single day, this group of, of, of people who had been following Jesus are sitting in a room. They're waiting, as Jesus had told them, in the city of Jerusalem, and a mighty rushing wind comes, and tongues of fire comes on them, and they are filled with uh, the person of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in all kinds of different languages, and the sound of the wind draws this huge crowd, and one of Jesus' followers, Peter, gets up, and he speaks this message of what God has done through this person, Jesus, to this crowd And 3,000 people respond. And we talked about this last week. It's like, so what's next? What happens next? And and last week we talked a little bit about the same passage. So we're going to be on page 18 in these Acts journals. We're going to read this together again um, because we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at this. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, this group of 3,000 who have just said yes to Jesus, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And and like we said last week, this is so unusual. Like all of a sudden, this group of 3,000 people who at best, probably were acquaintances. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe they were neighbors. Most of them probably strangers. All of a sudden, they're like together. There was no like script or rules. Peter didn't get up at the end of this message and said, okay, today, folks, uh, from this day forward, we're going to meet in the temple courts, and uh, we'll go over to the Smiths and the Joneses' house, and we'll have a meal together. And, oh, and also, make sure that you sell some stuff and give it away. Like, none of that stuff happened. Like, Peter didn't, like, give those kind of directions, and yet this group of people begin to do these things. There was no plan, there was no strategy, and what we see happening here is really, the only thing you can attribute to is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these followers. They encounter God, they encounter Jesus, they hear about what he's done, 
And like we talked about last week, what is happening here, what, 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 is, what Jesus has done for us is he's brought us back into this restored relationship with God. And through this restored relationship with God, we also begin to have this restored relationship with one another. And, and I had a conversation this week with my friend Chris, who's sitting right over here. And, and Chris pointed out this thing to me that just really resonated with me. He's like, you know, we talk about a relationship with God, and it's really hard because we, we struggle, let's be honest, we all struggle just with relationships in general, right? And, and how do we like, even understand a relationship with somebody that we can't see, you know, that's, that's really beyond comprehension? Like, how in the world do we get our heads around what a relationship with God looks like? Like, what is this? And I think... Really, if you think about it, and as we're going to see over these next few weeks, I think what we begin to see is a clearer picture of what this relationship with God begins to look like, like how it fleshes itself out. And and this morning, we're going to see a piece of that. I, I think it's interesting. When you read Scripture, when you read Scripture... Order matters, like the, the sequence of the way things appear, it matters. It's not by chance, it's not like, oh, they just kind of like put it that way, because we believe that like Scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, and so what you see in the sequence matters. And so these first two verses are so important because, it, again, I want to look at them. It, it says, and, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And for a long time, when I had read this passage before, I always had assumed that this idea of awe, which is a word we don't use a whole lot, right? Awe. Like, I guess the most modern thing I could say about what awe is, it's kind of like your mind being blown. Like, that would be the equivalent we say, like, mind blown. Like, this awe wasn't associated with the signs and wonders, which is what I always, I had always assumed. It was just like, oh, it's because they're doing all these miraculous things that they're in awe of all these wonderful things. No, awe precedes this. So, so what is it that they're in awe of? Like, where is this awe coming from, this mind blown? And I think what you're seeing is because for the first time, they're beginning to see Jesus through the eyes of the apostles. It's from the apostles' teaching. So what are the apostles teaching? Like, what are they talking about? There's no no Bible at this point. I mean, the Bible won't come for 300 years. Like, it's actually being written in, like, currently with what they're doing right then. And so what I'm guessing is happening here is what these apostles are doing is they're sharing all that Jesus did, all that Jesus taught, everything that they had witnessed about Jesus. Like, that's what they're sharing. They're like, you wouldn't believe everything that we saw Jesus do. Like, he raised people from the dead. Like, he himself was risen from the dead. Like, we saw him open blind eyes we saw him healed he taught us a different way to live he taught like nobody else and they would unpack all of these different things and i could just imagine what the dialogue was like it's 
And, and they would be sitting in these circles and they would be talking, the, 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 the apostles would be teaching about Jesus and they're like, hey, hey, Peter, tell us about that time, you know, when you got out of the boat. Like, like what happened next? Or, or they, they would be like, hey, Thomas, did you, did you really ask Jesus to, to put your finger inside his wrists and inside his side? Like, did that really, like, what was that like? Like, what was that response like? I mean, I could just imagine those conversations happening and their eyes are being opened to who Jesus is. And this is what we miss a lot of times, the significance of this, because they had this idea that this is a Jewish group of people. They had this idea of who the Messiah was going to be. It was the same idea that the, that the apostles had had before, that these, these group of followers, that they're listening to their teacher, they had this same idea that he was going to come and he was going to free them from the Romans. And, and their minds are being opened to the fact that, no, Jesus came for so much more than that. He didn't come just to free you from the Romans. He came to free you from sin. Like, you don't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices anymore because he was the sacrifice for your sin. That his death paid everything for you. And, and, and he's restored this relationship, and now you have God's presence living in you. You no longer have to go through a priest. That you have this access and this relationship with God with you now. That, that he rose from the dead and that he conquered death. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. I mean, can you imagine these, these first century followers, like their minds are being opened to who Jesus is. And I think what's happening here, again, is this awe is in response to this amazing, amazing relationship that's now available through Jesus. And so they have the presence of God in them and the person of the Holy Spirit they're listening and learning about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And they're in awe of this. Their minds are blown by this. And this is what happens next. Like, this is what flows out of this new relationship with God. Acts 2, 44 and 45. It says this. And all, get that word, all who believed had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I mean, this is like, this is the first thing that, that, that this is the first response. And, and what we see here is this group of people enamored by who God is and what Jesus has done for them. And their response is to begin to live generously. They begin to live generously. Let me just say this, you know, this is not going to be a talk about giving because generosity and giving are very different. Now, I, I think that giving is a part of being generous, but it's very possible to give and not be generous at all. I mean, giving is really just an action. Giving, giving is an action that can flow out of living generously, but it's not the same as living generously. You can give and not be generous at all. You can give out of obligation or manipulation or even out, out of a motive to get something in return. I mean, those are all things that have nothing to do with generosity, like being generous. And, and living generously is, is more than an act. It's really kind of this attitude. It's this, it's this mindset. And, and it's really more than just like money. Like generosity has to do with like everything that you have. 
like all the stuff that you have, everything that you think that you own, and, and, and even your time and your giftedness and your talent, everything. Like generosity covers everything. And so what I want to do is begin to unpack what I believe, like this relationship with God, like what it does, like what, how it creates, how it creates the opportunity for us to begin to live generously. And then I want to look at some of the shifts that take place because of this relationship with God. This is why we can live generously, because of this relationship that we have with God. You know, living generously is a reflection of God's character. That's the first thing. Living generously is a reflection of God's character. You know, God, God is generous by his nature. It's not that God is just generous. He's generous by his nature. Like, he encompasses, he is generous. Let me just give a couple of examples of this. I mean, just think about creation for a minute. I think God's generosity is just reflected in creation. I mean, he could have, think of all of the different things that are a part of creation. I mean, God, just take color, for example. I mean, God could have made everything in black and white. We could, we could live in this gray tone-like world. But, but he created color. You know, because again, I think that God is a generous God. I mean, think of the, the, the animals and insects and all of the things that he created. I mean, he could have, like, he didn't have to give us any of those things. I think of, like, the love and the loyalty of a dog, like, Dogs are just like unique characters, and I know there's dog people and cat people, but, but dogs, are, dogs are unique. I mean, they're like extraordinarily loyal. I mean, just the gift of, of having a dog that could be somebody that's like a companion, I mean, that's, that's a generous God. I mean, I think of like the beauty of creation. I mean, we live here right by the ocean. I mean, God didn't have to create the ocean and the waves. And all of those kinds of things. I mean, it could just been this flat, glass-like whatever. And the, the, the ocean is an amazing, amazing place. And all of the things that are in the ocean, I mean, that's a reflection of God's, like, generosity. I, I think about food, <laughs> which I often do. I mean, he... he I mean, God could have, like, like made just, like, spam. <laughs> like, okay, your body will now live on spam and spam alone. But he didn't. I mean, he made a variety of different things that we, different flavors and abilities to taste and enjoy. I mean, that's a generous God. I mean, just, just in creation alone is a reflection of generosity. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he himself paid the price for our sin. Like, he sent his only son to die for us. And that's amazing generosity. And I think the fact that we have God's presence in us and we begin to hear about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Have you ever noticed that when you're, like, around somebody a bunch, that, that you begin to, like, act like them? Like, if you hang around somebody, like, you pick up little phrases that they say or mannerisms that they have or, or even begin to mimic some of their behavior. I mean, I remember when, when Wendy and I were first married, um, she, she is, like, 
organization to the T. In fact, when we were first married, we had this thing on our end table. It was a basket, and she called it the remote basket. Because for her, everything had a place, and there was a place for everything. And so, naturally, remotes to TV and VCR at that time, that dates me, uh, went into the remote basket. And, and it was so, like, crazy that I would be sitting and watching TV, and I would go to find the remote to click at the next channel, and I would discover the remote had migrated over to the remote basket because everything had its place. Now, for me, my philosophy was everything had its place, yes, but that was wherever I dropped it. And so over time, fortunately, I became to more mimic her <laughs> than she began to mimic me. And I, I think that's what we're seeing here, that as these folks, as this early church, they have God in them, and they're hearing about Jesus and learning about what Jesus has done for them, that this is a response that this is, this is a reflection. They begin to reflect who God is. And, and I think this is true with us as well, that as we journey with God, as we journey with him in our relationship, that we begin to reflect his character and nature. And being him being in us begins to create a generosity, helps us to live generously. I think the second thing is that, that living generously is a response to God's love. It's a response to God's love. And God's love is really his generosity toward us. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody do just something like really extraordinary for you, like above and beyond, like anything that you could ever ask or imagine? I mean, the season that, that we are living in as a family has been a season that we've experienced some amazing generosity. I mean, people who have provided meals and gift cards and rides and calls and texts and visits and gift boxes and flowers. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the lists of how people have expressed their love for us. And what that does for me and for, for my wife is it just makes us want to do something for others. Like, it just want, we want to do something in response for what's been done for us. And I think when we understand what God has done for us, that he didn't just like remove sin from us, like he paid the price for our sin. Like he gave his son. It was more than just mercy. It was more than just like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, he actually paid our debt. I mean, he's not just paid our debt, but he's made us his sons and daughters. Like he's, he's given us the status of his children. And, and wouldn't we want to do the same, like, for others? Like, wouldn't that, like, shape us because of the fact that we've been loved so much by him? And, and I think what living generously is, it's the overflow of gratitude for what God has done for us. And I think the third thing that we see when it comes to our relationship with God and, and this idea of living gener gener generously is living generously is a demonstration of trust in God. I mean, living generously is just a demonstration of the fact that I trust you, God. Jesus taught it this way in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. He said, he said this. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Like he's saying, you know, the birds are taken care of. Like, like God provides for the birds. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? <laughs> I've asked this question many times. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, look, God, God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the grass. Like, how much more is he going to take care of you? He's going to provide for you if you just trust him. He loves you deeply, and he loves you dearly. And living generously means knowing that God is going to provide all of our needs. Not necessarily our wants, but God is going to provide all of our needs. Now, now, what this is going to require, what this requires from us is really kind of a shift in our mindset. You know, Paul writes to the Romans in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, he, he basically lays this out and he says, you know what, what we need to do, our response to what God has done for us is we need to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and he says living sacrifices basically because, this, you know, sacrifice would be put on the altar. The problem with the living sacrifice is it tends to want to climb off the altar. So it's kind of this daily thing that we're constantly putting ourselves on the altar. Present your, 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 your bodies as living sacrifices to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Like that's how he sets us up. And then he says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so what I want to talk about is what does this transformation look like? Like, we have this restored relationship with God, and because of this restored relationship with God, we understand that, you know, God, God is a generous God, that, that he loves us deeply, and that we can trust him because he provides for us. So what needs to shift for us? Like, how does this begin to shift us? Let me suggest three ways that this begins to shift us when it comes to living generously. The, the first one is this. We have to shift our mind from the fact that we own to that we manage. We have to shift our mind from ownership to management. Because here's the fact. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, God owns it all. Psalm 24, verse 1, it says this. The earth is the Lord's, okay? So the earth. <laughs> That's pretty much everything, right? And if it wasn't clear enough, he said, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the water. So basically, the psalmist is saying, David's saying here, God owns it all. Like he owns 
everything. And he lets us manage it. Like, what we have, he's just given us to manage. We don't own it. And I wonder how much things would change if we really lived the idea that God was actually the owner of what we have, rather than us owning it. I mean, how would this change how you spend your money? Like, how would that change? How, how would it change how you take care of what you have? Like, if you knew that it was God's, like, how would you treat it differently? How, how would you change even seeking, like, even asking God, what do you want me to do with this, God? This is yours. What do you want to do? I mean, how many conversations or discussions would just start with an asking God, what do you want me to do? Like, what decision do you want me to make with this? And I think that what we see with these earlier followers is they're, they're starting to understand this, that all of the guy owns everything. And, and what we see in this, in, in this passage, it says they had all things in common. That idea of all things in common is they basically didn't see things as their own. They, they were sharing with one another. Like, all things in common means it's not mine, it's, it's ours to share. And, and I hope that this doesn't just impact us as individuals or families. I hope this really, like, begins to, like, shape us as a faith community. And I can see God beginning to do this in us. And he's, he's done this in the history of South Point. And I, I hope he just continues to shape us in this. I, that, that's really why, that's what's behind the heart behind this idea of helping with the, the Ukraine situation, like our response, you know, where we want to give away next week's, next Sunday's offering, because it's his. <laughs> it's his, and he's, I think this is what he's directing us to do, just give, give it to help what's happening, the effects of what's happening in Ukraine, specifically with the children. It's why, you know, we've been bringing stuff up here and, and giving it to home, the homeless, like, it's just an expression of the fact that this is all his anyway. Let's just give it away. And it's really why we even seek, like, how can we use this campus beyond just, like, Sunday mornings and with our groups? Like, how can we open this up to other groups to be able to use and even those in the community to use? Like, how can we do that? Because it's his. All of this is his. And I think it begins to shape our mindset as a community that all of it is owned by him. I think the second transformation of the mind that we see is we see this transformation of moving from like a closed-handed to an open-handed. From closed-handed to open that's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, you can approach life like this, or you can approach life like this. And, and let, me, let me just explain the difference between this and this. Let me just give a few examples of this. Like closed Minded thinking is based upon scarcity. <laughs> I, I don't have enough. Uh, Open-handed thinking is based upon security. Because I believe in the one who provides. Close-handed thinking is the idea that this is mine. Have you ever noticed that like kids, one, for one of the first things they learn is the word mine? <laughs> I, I don't think that's by mistake. It's like, and we don't grow out of that ever. It's like closed-handed thinking is that it's mine. And open-handed thinking of it's, it's his. Closed-minded or closed-handed thinking is it focuses on my needs. I need my needs met. Like I have to take care of, number one, I have to take care of myself. And open-handed 
thinking is focuses on meeting the needs of others. Like that's the kind of shift I think that takes place. And parents, let me talk to you for a second. This is where this gets really tough because I think a lot of times when we see our kids, we think of them as ours. And the truth of the matter is they're a gift from God that's been entrusted trusted to us for a time, but they're God's. And, and sometimes that shapes itself in so many different ways. We project what we want for our kids or what we think that they should do or how we define whether they're successful. I remember when Wendy and I used to work with high school kids years ago, I think one of the saddest moments I can think of during that time of serving with kids was we went on the same conference that our, our, our high schoolers were going to go on this summer, the CIY Move Conference, and there was a girl in our group who came back, was convinced that God had called her to do something specific for him. And I never remember, I'll never forget the next week, after she came back, she had a conversation with her family about what this decision was, and her mom and dad basically told her, no, you're not going to do that. Open-handed is the idea to trust that God, these are God's, like these children are God's, like everything I have is his and I could trust him. And note that this group went beyond just sharing what they had, they, they sold what they had, they sold the possessions, they sold the belongings, and they sold their stuff to meet the needs of others because this meant more to them than just holding on to what they had. And my question is, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And the third and last, like, transformation of the mind is this. We've got to shift from the idea of more to the idea of enough. We have to shift from the idea of more and enough. That is almost impossible in our culture today. Let me just say that. We are inundated with what we don't have or what we think that we need. I mean, you can't drive down the street. You can't listen to the radio. You can't even listen to, like, if you don't pay for the subscription. You can't listen to Spotify without getting advertisements. You can't watch TV without being told what you need, what you don't have, what will make you complete, what will make you hold the next shiny this. You can't walk through a store without being like just like blasted with all the stuff. <laughs> and as a consequence, we live this way. We live with the mindset that we need more <laughs> or worse, that what we have isn't enough. And what happens with that as we, as we pursue, if we continue to pursue more, it reduces whatever margin that we may have. So even though we may have the desire to be generous, we don't have the ability to be generous. And, and do you know what the key you know what the key to, to, to fighting this, the key to, to having this like mindset shift is 
gratitude. It, 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 gratitude, it's being grateful for what, for what you already have. It's realizing all of the blessings that you've been given. And, and it starts with the biggest blessing of all, the fact that God himself paid the price for our sin, right? I mean, wow. You, you see what gratitude does? Gratitude leads to satisfaction. And, and satisfaction says, I'm all set. I have enough. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine the joy and the freedom that would come from just living generously? I mean, what, what an amazing way to live. Not out of scarcity, but out of security. Not out of a desire for more, but out of a desire of enough. Realizing what God has done for us has paid everything. And our, my hope and prayer is that just not just as an individual, but as, as a church, that we would continue to express what it means to live generously. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the fact that you, because of what you have done for us, that you allow us to be able to have this amazing opportunity to be able to live generously. I, I pray, Father, that you would just continue to shape that in us as, as a community, as individuals, God, because of what you've done, because of who you are, that we are able to express this, experience this amazing joy and freedom in the fact that you have called us to live generously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.